Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In today's edition, we've got stories about a new tenant for the Christmas tree shop's property in Orleans, the retirement of Stormy Mayo from the Center for Coastal Studies in Provincetown, and Ira Wood with his matter of opinion about ordering seeds with Coach Belichick in mind. The site of the former Christmas tree shops in Orleans has a new tenant. Baskin's Ace Hardware is moving its store just a few hundred feet down South Orleans Road to the prime location at the intersection of Routes 6A and 28. With a bigger parking lot and about 10,000 square feet of retail and storage space, owner Lauren Baskin is looking forward to the opportunity to expand the hardware store's offerings. Baskin signed a rental agreement with property owner Greg Belzikian in late December for a 10-year term with options to extend for 30 years. She expects to open the new store by May 1st. The Belzikian Trust has owned the property since 1982. Both the Belzikians and the Baskins have long histories on Cape Cod. Greg's parents, Charles and Doreen Belzikian, opened the first Christmas tree shop store on the Cape in 1970. Eventually, there were four Christmas tree shops on Cape Cod, with many more locations across New England before they sold to Bed Bath & Beyond in 2003. William and Marilyn Baskin opened their first hardware store in 1977. Over the years, the family business grew to five locations on Cape Cod. Lauren Baskin now owns hardware stores in Dennis, South Yarmouth, Harwichport, and Orleans. Her brother, Jim Baskin, owns the store in Brewster. The new location will have more than double the retail space of the hardware store's current location, with additional storage and office space on the second floor. The larger store will present opportunities for more hiring. Currently, the store has six employees, and Baskin expects to hire an additional two to three people as the date of the move approaches. Just down the road in Orleans, development at the former site of the Cape Cod 5 Savings Bank headquarters is set to get underway after years in the planning. The project's developer, Penrose, has finally closed on the $30 million project, and demolition is set to begin at the property on West Road. Penrose will redevelop the property into 62 housing units, 52 of which will be rented as affordable to people who make up to 80% of the area median income. The remaining 10 units will be rented as attainable housing for people who make up to 120% of AMI. Work will begin with interior demolition of the existing bank structure. The project's contractor could break ground on the exterior construction in March. The Cape Cod 5 project is one of three affordable and workforce housing developments that could break ground this spring. Housing Assistance Corporation plans to develop 14 affordable units at 107 Main Street in Orleans, while plans have also been filed to develop the former underground mall property off of Route 6A into 29 housing units. 
Alan McLennan, who chairs the town's Affordable Housing Trust Fund board, said the forward momentum Orleans is seeing on the housing front is the result of years of hard work. A feasibility study in 2018 found that the Cape Cod 5 building could be converted into housing, and the town eventually hired an architect to create design options for the project. In the summer of 2020, Penrose made a deal to purchase the building from the bank. In 2021, town meeting voters authorized bonding $2 million in Community Preservation Act funds for the project. The following year, Penrose secured low-income tax credits from the state. The project is being funded through additional federal low-income tax credits and community preservation funds from the towns of Brewster, Chatham, Eastham, Provincetown, Truro, and Harwich. The many financial stakeholders involved made closing on the project a lengthy affair. McLennan noted that while local permitting for the project took about 90 days, closing on the property took three years, as everyone needed to make sure that the documents reflected what the towns, the state, and the federal government required. With the completion of Penrose and the project at 107 Main Street, the town will meet and pass the state's 10% affordable housing benchmark. Towns in which at least 10% of local housing stock is affordable can better protect themselves from unwanted development under Chapter 40B, which often gives developers leverage to override local zoning regulations. There are also plans afoot to use a former nursing home in South Dennis to house up to 79 families, merging three family shelters run by Housing Assistance Corporation in Barnstable, Falmouth, and Bourne. The existing shelters will then become studios and two-bedroom year-round rentals. Housing Assistance Corporation CEO Alyssa Magnata said the move represents a reset for the organization, which is marking its 50th anniversary this year. Families now being served at the three family shelters will move to One Love Lane in Dennis, which was South Dennis Healthcare, before closing in mid-November. Currently, the plan is to open the new facility in mid-2024. The housing nonprofit plans to work with an architect and other consultants to renovate and redesign the site for its new use. Once the Dennis shelter is complete, Magnata said, clients will be able to access many different services there, including food programs, playgroups, tutoring, medical care, and more. 24-hour shelter staff and security will also be available, as well as education, case management, and public transportation. The open enrollment period for the state's Health Connector website the window in which people without health insurance can sign up for it, is ending on January 23rd. After that, open enrollment begins again in November 2024. This year's open enrollment period is particularly important because the state has funded a large expansion of low-cost plans. Many people who previously qualified only for the less subsidized plans sold by health insurance companies like Blue Cross and Blue Shield, are now eligible for deeply subsidized connector care plans, which offer similar coverage but have much lower premiums and copays. Connector care plans also have no deductibles, which can mean thousands of dollars in savings for people with health conditions that require more care. The new increase in connector care to 500% of poverty level means the income limit for a single person is $72,900, and for a family of four is $150,000. People who are currently enrolled and newly eligible for a lower-cost connector care plan should be notified through the mail and automatically moved over to connector care, 
But people who are currently going without insurance might not know about the expansion of Connector Care. The Health Connector website now includes a Get an Estimate tool that allows people to enter their information to find out how much health insurance might cost them without going through a full application process first. According to the Estimator tool, a 60-year-old in Provincetown who makes $70,000 per year would have paid $462 per month for a silver plan from Boston Medical Center, but can now pay $255 per month for a connector care plan from the same organization. A Blue Cross Blue Shield silver plan that would have cost about $1,200 per month would now cost $799. Suzanne Joyner, the Senior Healthcare Access Specialist at Outer Cape Health Services, said that everyone who buys insurance on the Health Connector should consider checking to see if their insurance carriers are still price competitive. You can start off your new year by learning something new and taking in a show at the Cape Cod Theatre Company, Harwich Junior Theatre, in the coming weeks. The theatre's new producing artistic director, Jen Pina, said the theatre is committed to making classes available to all and she expressed appreciation to the theater's donors, supporters, and the entire team of the upcoming one-night-only production of The Couch for supporting the theater's students. Susan Lambert is bringing her show, The Couch, to Harwich after sold-out performances in Wellfleet and Boston, and she's donating 100% of the proceeds from the performance to the Cape Cod Theater Company HJT Scholarship Fund. The Couch is a solo musical theater piece starring Lambert, accompanied by Jonathan Goldberg and directed by longtime producing artistic director Nina Schessler. The production will take place on Saturday, January 13th at 5 p.m., with a reception to follow. Winter classes begin at Cape Cod Theatre Company this week, with a robust lineup of 18 programs for all ages, from pre-K on up. Pina said generous financial assistance is available for all classes. Next weekend, on Friday and Saturday, January 19th and 20th, Cape Cod Theatre Company, Harwich Junior Theatre, is producing a 24-hour play festival where new short plays will be written, rehearsed, and performed within the span of only 24 hours. Any and all experience levels of playwrights, directors, and actors are encouraged to come and take part in this exciting event. For more information about upcoming productions at Cape Cod Theatre Company, Harwich Junior Theatre, including The Couch and the 24-Hour Play Festival, or to learn more about available classes, you can visit capecodtheatrecompany.org. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. It's the end of an era at a major Provincetown nonprofit. The Center for Coastal Studies has announced the retirement of Charles Stormy Mayo III in May after more than 45 years at the center. Mayo is a co-founder of the organization and director of its right whale ecology program. Daniel Palacios, a professor in whale habitats at Oregon State University, will succeed Mayo as director. Mayo, alongside his then-wife Barbara Schuler Mayo and scientist Graham Geis, founded the Center for Coastal Studies in 1976. 
Geis left the center to pursue work elsewhere in the mid-80s, and Barbara Mayo died of breast cancer in 1988, leaving Stormy in charge of most of the center's operations. Mayo and his assistant Carol Carlson came upon the first known winter right whale in Cape Cod Bay in 1986, revealing that the bay is an important winter feeding ground for this extremely rare mammal. Since that sighting, right whales have become a focus of the center's work, and Mayo has been in charge of studying them. Under his leadership, the center undertook an ongoing 38-year-long right whale survey that has shed light on the whale's habitat requirements, seasonal movement patterns, and dietary requirements in the bay. The research has led to passage of strict conservation laws covering Cape Cod Bay and prompted the creation of the Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary. Mayo has also saved whales directly through the center's disentanglement program. Before the Center for Coastal Studies established its program, only one similar effort existed. Mayo's program was unique in that it sought to help whales that were partially entangled, which meant chasing them down and untangling them as they struggled. The Center for Coastal Studies now has 14 programs that cover everything from shark ecology to seafloor mapping, and it has become a renowned center for right whale research. Mayo plans to keep studying whales in his retirement and will likely remain affiliated with the center as a scientist emeritus. Stormy's successor, Daniel Palacios, said he's very familiar with Mayo's research on right whales and plans to continue his predecessor's legacy. Palacios grew up in Colombia and attended the University of Bogota. He received his Ph.D. in oceanography from Oregon State University and spent 10 years working at NOAA's Pacific Fisheries Environmental Fisheries Laboratory before returning as a research professor at OSU's Marine Mammal Institute. When asked what advice he would give Palacios on his new position, Mayo said, I don't think he needs it. Shalise Sexton and her son Kevin are known for repeatedly trying to take properties from their current owners by using 100-year-old deeds to back their claims. They've had some success over the years, but their recent lawsuit aiming to take 8.6 acres on Old Kings Highway from the Wellfleet Housing Authority has been denied by a state land court judge. Although an appeal of the judgment could still be filed, the decision for now puts to rest the Sexton's claim that the land belonged to their family based on a 1922 deed. The stakes were high for the town and for the dozens of tenants of an affordable housing complex built on the site in 2002. In addition, if the court had agreed with the Sextons and invalidated the easements granted by the town, some homeowners on Delphi Path would have lost access to their properties. The Sextons sued the town in land court in 2017, asking the court to award them title to the land, order the town off the property, invalidate a handful of utility easements, and award them damages for rents and profits connected with the town's use of the land. In their complaint, the Sextons named the Wellfleet Housing Authority, the Community Development Partnership, some utility companies, the state, and even the federal government in connection with subsidies and affordability restrictions on the housing development.
The town initially acquired the land listed at 324 Old Kings Highway in 1967 when it took the lot from Ralph Witcher for failure to pay real estate taxes. In 1993, residents voted at town meeting to turn the land over to the Wellfleet Housing Authority to be used for affordable housing. After years of planning, the Housing Authority signed a 60-year lease for the property in 2001 with the Community Development Partnership, which built the 12 units of affordable housing now on the site. The CDP continues to manage the complex. The Sextons asserted their claim to the property 15 years after the complex was built. The Sextons' lawyer argued that the property the town took from Ralph Witcher was not the same as the property where the town and CDP built the housing complex. After several COVID-related delays, the trial took place in March of 22. Closing arguments were made in late September of 22 and Massachusetts Land Court Judge Robert Foster took the matter under advisement. He deliberated for more than a year before issuing his ruling in late December. The Sextons have tried to lay claim to other properties in town. The Payne family eventually won their case following an attempt by Chalice Sexton to take ownership of their longtime campground on Old Kings Highway. It took 21 years and more than a million dollars in legal fees to fend off her claim, according to Robert Payne. Joe and Richard Healy and their sister Dorothy lost their land at 120 Sapaconish Way, where their family had spent summers since the 50s. They were notified by the land court in 2004 that Shalise Sexton was claiming she owned the property based on old deeds. For the next six years, they fought Sexton in land court, but ultimately lost the case along with the cabin built on the property by their father and brother. In 2003, the Sextons attempted to claim ownership of some undeveloped land at 521 Old Kings Highway, owned by Alfred Picard, Jr. After a costly three-year court battle, Picard won that case and retained ownership of the land. After a lengthy process, the Truro Select Board on January 9th appointed two Republican registrars for terms ending March 30th, 2025. Heather Harper's temporary appointment will become long-term, and Fran Johnson will fill the fourth seat on the board. Harper and Johnson were selected from a list of six candidates submitted by the chair of the Republican Town Committee, Tim Hickey. The others were Stephen Garvin, James Goshen, Dennis O'Brien, and Stephen Sawlog. Select board member John Dundas was for O'Brien and Johnson, while the other select board members were for Harper and Johnson. In the end, Dundas supported his colleagues' choices, and the final votes on the appointments were unanimous. It's possible that another town in our area could soon be looking for a new town administrator, Harwich Town Administrator Joseph Powers is one of five finalists for the town manager's position in the town of Foxborough. Powers' three-year contract as Harwich Town Administrator is due to expire at the end of June. The select board has met in executive session on several occasions recently to discuss negotiation of his contract. Under the town administrator's contract, the select board is required in the next several weeks to inform Powers whether it plans to issue him a new contract. 
Powers was a finalist for the town administrator's position in Yarmouth in 2021, but the selectmen there chose Robert Rittenauer instead. Powers was appointed interim administrator in 2019 and named full-time Harwich Town Administrator in January of 2021. The town of Provincetown is rolling out its Sewer Connection Assistance Program in an effort to help lower-income homeowners connect to the town's expanding sewer system. Assistance is capped at $20,000 per household and can be used to defray the cost of hiring a private contractor to connect a home to the municipal sewer lines. The program is paid for with funds from the American Rescue Plan Act, and is available to people earning less than 80% of area median income, which is approximately $64,000 for a one-person household or $73,000 for a two-person household. The property must be the homeowner's principal year-round residence, and household assets cannot exceed $200,000, excluding the value of the home. Applications are now open, and workshops will be held for interested homeowners on January 23rd and February 5th. Homeowners with cesspools are a priority for the program and must apply by February 12th. Homeowners with septic systems must apply by March 1st. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. rituals have been going on since the emergence of behavioral modernity for over 50,000 years. Rituals, like following our favorite football teams, bring us together, mark time, and reinforce our identities. But there's a thin line between healthy rituals and mindless habits. And by that, I mean proceeding with the same game plan year after year, hoping that what worked in the past will work in the future. Coach Bill Belichick is a prime example to my way of thinking. Sure, he was a great head coach for a long time, but the game passed him by while he kept running his team the same way he had for decades. The same thing can be said for the way we've been growing our garden, and like the Patriots, We've had to make some really tough choices, and that starts at the top, the way we've been ordering seeds. Our seed ordering ritual begins every New Year's Day, as it has for decades, taking down the tree, stowing away the ornaments, vacuuming the pine needles, rearranging the furniture, and then sitting down with the seed catalogs. But it's here that the changes began. Instead of comparing notes about which tomatoes grew the biggest and which zucchini varieties produced the most, we found ourselves lamenting what we lost. What killed the Brussels sprouts? 
Why didn't we get a single butternut squash? How come our tomatoes didn't ripen until mid-September? I imagine that Robert Kraft posed similar questions to Coach Belichick. Why did our offense suck? Why did we have the worst record in our division? Changes clearly must be made, and like any savvy team, my wife and I began by sizing up the competition. Clearly, our garden's biggest problem is climate change. The blistering July heat, the summer drought, the weeds that never really die off during our now warmer winters, the disappearance of bees. As a result, we had to make some painful cuts, and we're ordering half as many tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, and summer squash. We're giving up on bees, snow peas, cauliflower, and anything else we can pick up. At a farmer's market, we had to think long and hard about these decisions. And to quote Robert Kraft, "We measured nine times before we cut once." Obviously, we needed a whole new game plan. We used to grow way more veggies than we needed, keep the best for ourselves, and give the excess to friends who didn't have gardens. But why? Over the years, many of those friends have passed away. My wife's literary agent, a very rich lady, who swore that she couldn't buy tomatoes as good as ours at any price, and the novelist John Nichols, whose annual holiday gifts consisted of our homemade tomato chutney, zucchini relish, and red currant jam. Other friends simply ticked us off. One couple asked if we wouldn't mind giving them their tomatoes earlier because they like to serve them to their summer guests in July. Another friend confessed she really didn't like vegetables and was quietly giving them away to her neighbor who fed them to her pigs. Also, like Tom Brady himself. We had to recognize we were growing older. Not only did working in the garden tire us out sooner, but we ate a lot less. Why put in all that physical labor to grow veggies that were only going to rot in the crisper? Ordering seeds is like the NFL draft, where you hope to pick the best performers. Climate-resistant varieties that dispel heat tolerance, for instance, but can also grow in low-moisture soil. Crops that mature quickly before prolonged hot weather sets in, and of course, we have to be vigilant in all phases of the game: planting earlier or later, and covering them with shade if necessary. Beginning a new regime is never easy. In the garden, or in the NFL. That said, it's time to bid farewell to Coach Belichick, and to say hello to new seeds: Eastern Crown broccoli, Cherokee lettuce, Heatmaster tomatoes. Every new season means a fresh start. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. Thank、you
And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Stirred Not Shaken with Hank and Andy on listener-supported community radio, WOMR.